Hello and welcome to this episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Ari Shah. Today in the studio with me, I am super excited to have Mark Cohen. Uh, Mark is a solo GP at Unbundle VC, investing in early stage startups without the need for a warm intro or a pitch deck. Mark, great to have you here in the studio with me today. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's uh, my pleasure. So we're going to jump into the primer. Uh, so we've we've switched up our format a little bit. So I want to kind of get into a few quick fire questions. So what was your first job? My first job was a paper round. Um, I think a lot of people had those first jobs. People of my sort of age, seems inconceivable that people have newspapers and had them delivered now, <laughs> probably. But that was my first job and it was good for discipline. I had to get up early in the morning and and do stuff right and make sure I turned up every day. I think my first, what I would call proper job that I learned something from was I did a telesales job for AutoTrader. Yep. So AutoTrader, which I now assume is like mainly or online. exclusively yeah. online, at the time was an actual magazine. And the standard way that people went and sold their cars was like three or four line ads in local papers. And in the office, there was a bowl where someone had cut out all the adverts. And one by one, people would pick up those things, phone people up, annoy them. There were a lot of angry people that would swear at you uh, and try and sell them an ad in AutoTrader. The lesson that I got from that was when I first, I was at school when I did this. Quite a few of my school friends did the same thing. The big lesson was it was commission only. There was no basic. Yeah, that's. I think that's illegal now. But there was commission yeah. only, no basic uh, and I did quite well. It then switched to basic plus commission, and I didn't do anywhere near as well. Uh. But if you'd asked me, I felt I was working just as hard. Mm -hmm. So it was a very early lesson on the power of incentives. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's really interesting, actually. Uh, I think my first job was at McDonald's. Uh, the incentives were very different <laughs> in that particular case. Uh, what did you do before you got into venture? I was an interest rate swap trader at banks. I then went and did a master's in AI. I went back into finance and I built systematic trading systems uh, using that AI. And I was doing that up until about five years ago. We're going to talk a lot about AI, I think, in the main podcast. So I, I won't try and ask you too many questions, but... Um, um, I do know that one of the tools that you built or one of the products uh, that you built was uh, the best poker playing AI in, in the world at the time, right? Uh, so what triggered your move into venture then? So what I was doing before stopped. Um, I just moved to Guernsey. I didn't know what I was going to do next, but I was interested in investing. And I figured I was going to spend two to three years. I've been fortunate enough to do pretty well in the previous thing that I did. I was going to spend two to three years figuring out how to invest my money better and I had a few ideas about what that might look like but I was exploring everything I was introduced to some angel groups and ended up getting into venture as a way of not just investing my own money but thought actually this is quite an interesting business interesting and what would you be doing if you weren't a VC I think now if I wasn't I'd be trying to build something myself okay so so as the, as has been the long tradition of many of the guests on this on this podcast, operator turned investor, but still got itchy feet maybe for a bit of a bit of operating again. Is that right? Yeah, and I'd say the way that I'm doing things now, and we'll come to that, is 
because I thought actually there is a way to do something different and to try and take a founder mindset into venture. Yeah, no, for sure. So let's talk about Unbundled. Um, so what stages do you invest at? What sectors, what geographies, what sort of check size? Early stage digital tech. So mm -hmm. first check, always pre-Series A. Um, geographies, theoretically anywhere. In practice, there are geographies where I do not know the market well enough to invest. And so it's quite unlikely I would be able to get there. First check is 50K, mm -hmm. um, up to 200K into a business. But most businesses will only see one check for me because the following 150 has got to be stellar or I could put it into three new things. And yeah. so I think on balance, I'll end up probably doing about half and half in terms of sort of initial checks and follow-ons in terms of actual capital. Yeah, so it's interesting on the geography point, uh, we were just talking before the podcast about David Fogel, who, who we had on a, uh, some weeks ago, um, and uh, uh, post David, F so David Fogel was a, a COO at WeFarm, uh, and then I interviewed uh, Egosa Omoigui, who is a, uh, an investor with a large focus on Africa, and what came out of that conversation because uh, they'd looked at WeFarm a few times, um, especially with geographies like Africa, if you don't have a very, very strong understanding of the problem set from the perspective of people on the ground, it's very hard uh, to actually uh, know whether you're investing in the right thing, but equally whether you're actually building the right thing, right? Because the, the sort of problems that people face in those sort of places are very, very different from what you and I would understand. Totally. Understanding both what the problems are and the cultural differences yeah. and the competitive environment just makes that almost impossible, I think, for someone like me. So while it's theoretically possible, I can imagine like a, a weird path to getting there, but it's quite a weird path. Yeah, I, I, I and I think it's one of those things where you'd have to probably spend a bunch of time in country uh, with people that, you know, know, know the market, etc. And then and then build from there. And so I give, for example, I have a deep tech investment yeah that is really like i had a very weird path that took me to that one it's very because i happen to know one of the founders mm -hmm. really well um but typically i'm not going to be going anywhere near deep, near deep tech apart from potentially ai because i think that's the almost the only place where deep tech and digital tech overlap yeah and so if, by deep tech just to understand you you're talking more about hardware sort of deep tech or what, what would you consider to be deep tech um, outside of AI? It's actually sustainable materials right. production. It's still in stealth, so I can't say too much, but they're yeah. sort of gradually coming out of stealth. But yeah, yeah. That's, that's what that is. And, and I have no expertise in that space, but I did have a way of getting there, and they're doing great. So. Amazing. Okay, well, let, let's talk about it. Are there three ventures in inside or outside, indeed, your, your portfolio that you're really excited about at the moment? Uh, so I'm excited about all of them. Of course. Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, you'd like me to pick one. So, okay, well, I'll pick pick three. So I'll pick the, the guys I went to see yesterday at Runner. Uh, we were talking a minute ago. You said you run every day. So yeah. Runner, R-U-N-N-A, two great founders, um, incredible business, growing super fast, great unit economics, um, and just uh, it's an interesting showcase for the sort of way that I operate because I try not to have a specific thesis other than i'm looking for great founders in businesses that have the potential to be let's say uh 100x and that and they 
they have to have good unit economics, that kind of thing that, mm-hmm. that you're looking for. Uh, market size needs to be big enough. Problem set needs to be right. If you'd asked me before I met them, am I interested in investing in a running app? I'd probably have said, no, I can't see myself ever doing that. And then I met them, heard what they were doing, saw how they were doing, and actually it was almost an instant yes. Uh, and so in terms of the way that I operate, I try not to go no based on what it is. I try and actually hear from as many founders as possible because sometimes the most interesting deals are the ones you weren't interested in until you'd spoken to them. Um, I'll pick another one. that I'll try and do ones that show some insight into my mindset. Mm. So Yasso, which is formerly Kwai Commerce, is a business that is enabling sort of clean beauty brands to sell into China. So that was actually my first sort of new commitment when I set up on my own as Unbundled. Uh, they You never forget your first. <laughs> no, and it was important to me for a variety of reasons. But um, at the time, I think, you know, two, three weeks before they closed was when there's geopolitical risk, right, associated with sort of doing anything associated with China. And it was just when... Pelosi had gone to Taiwan. Oh, yeah. Right. And they were due to close two or three weeks later, which, as you can imagine, probably wasn't great timing and left everyone feeling a bit twitchy. So then you're sitting there, well, look, there is increased geopolitical risk. That's real. Do I want to do this? Do yeah. I want to do the deal? And you go and look at that, and the market size is so big that even if it makes it twice as likely as it was before that that business will fail the market size is just so big and the potential upside if they do everything that they aim to do is so big that it's like actually my job here is to figure out what the balance of risk and return is yeah so it's cap downside uncapped upside right yeah and so yes does it make it slightly more likely that it will fail yes but if they win the upside is so big that actually sometimes you can accept a bit more risk um, and then a more recent one, but the most recent public commitment and investment that I made was into Wanji app, which is a on-demand mental health app. So again, mental health was one of those things that I thought I would love to invest in that space, mm. but it felt very, very crowded. So why did I invest in this one? Firstly, an incredible founder. Monica is an incredible founder, has all the things that you would like to see in a founder. And then there are other, you know, mental health marketplaces that are out there. Some of them have done quite well. I don't think any of them are killing it. And so it feels like a really competitive space. For me, it's could on demand be the thing, not just a feature, but the thing that makes a difference. So the process I then go through in my head is, could I imagine a world in five to ten years' time where someone, where normal is, well, of course, a significant portion of people get on demand and they don't have to wait a week or a month to, to get their first appointment or to manage to go and meet someone. Does that seem like a plausible vision of the, the future? And if it does... That's so different to how things operate at the moment that that could be the thing. Does it mean that I believe 100% that's what the future's going to look like? No, of course it doesn't. 
is it plausible it could look like that? And that's enough of a change from what the status quo is that that's the thing that makes the difference. Plus, there's a you know killer founder in there. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and is again, but obviously that's a, there's a huge market size there. Mm. You put those things together and go, well, okay, that makes sense. Sometimes, don't overcomplicate. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And and I certainly have seen a number of the kind of mental health apps. I have a, a variety of opinions on that, which we'll probably pick up afterwards. But look, for the time being, Mark, thank you so much for joining me here on, on today's Primer. And uh, can't wait to discuss some of this stuff in more detail on the main show.